You're listening to an Axe Church sermon. Axe Church Northwest is located in Vancouver, Washington, and we have services meeting each week at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. You can also join us online live at our 11 a.m. service each Sunday. If you'd like to know more about Axe Church Northwest, you can go to axechurchnw.org. Now enjoy the sermon. What are you chasing? And why are you chasing it? If you stop and ask yourself, what am I after? What comes to mind? What am I after? What am I spending my time, my resources, my energy, my money? What am I after? For some people, it's as simple as getting a little more sleep because they're so busy or better health or more money, better relationships, maybe looking for that husband or wife. For some, it's more free time, less responsibility. For some people, it's more travel, more vacations, or more respect, more power, or fame. There are all kinds of things to chase in the fallen world that we live in, and many of those things are in themselves neutral. They're not necessarily bad, not necessarily good. They're just things. What I mean is that they're not all bad in themselves, but why do we chase them? We chase them because we think that if we can get them, they'll bring us joy. We think if we could just get more money, boy, we wouldn't worry anymore. If I could just get married, I would feel complete. The old, you complete me, romantic comedy nonsense. Only God can do that for us. Some people think if I could just get life to slow down or to speed up or to, or to, or to, whatever you would fill in there. And then we chase those things. We chase them. We think about them. We fantasize about them and how we're going to get them and how when we get them, we're finally going to have joy. We get our own idea of what the good life looks like, what the good life is for ourselves maybe what the good life is for our families. You know, we see that Instagram post, or for those of us who are a little older, maybe it was the magazine ad or article about this person who has this perfect life, the one that if we think we could get, we would just have so much joy. I mean, they're famous. Their kids seem well-behaved. Amazing how well-behaved kids are in a still picture. They have this super nice home and car. They must be happy, right? And somehow we ignore the fact that so many of these people actually have really difficult and unhappy lives. They have their marriages fall apart. They struggle with depression, addiction, and all the things that everyone else deals with because we all have to face the fallen world. And it doesn't seem to matter how much someone's house costs or how much someone's car costs or how much they get to travel. That doesn't seem to relate to whether or not a person has joy. I read something on Inc.com by an author named Jeffrey Hayden, and he referenced this survey of 1,000 people that Discover did. I'm talking Discover Card, that company, not the Discovery Channel or something. These people were surveyed about their finances and the upgrades that they feel they need in their life to consider themselves successful. And what they found was that a bunch of people said that they would feel successful if they could have a house that was worth twice what their current house was, a car that was worth twice what their current car is, 
and a housekeeper. Those are the things that people wanted. They wanted a housekeeper, a doubly expensive and big house, and a doubly expensive car. Now, here's the thing. First of all, you can solve all that by having kids very easily. Have kids, and you won't want a bigger house because it's more room for them to make a mess. You won't want to have a nicer car because, again, they mess everything up. And when they get old enough, you can use them to be your housekeeper. So problem solved. Problem solved. Most of us, uh, whether we're Christians or not, if we're asked about these kinds of things, we would say, of course, I know, I know those things don't really bring me joy. The best things in life are free, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But I don't think that our lives bear out that we really believe those things. Because we go back to chasing whatever it is that we're chasing. Now, here's the deal. I'm going to be really honest with you. Money and enough sleep and free time and good health and good relationships, they actually are really helpful in life. Those things are, are really helpful. I'd be lying if I said that they weren't. They can all be wonderful gifts from God. The problem with chasing them is that they are the icing, not the cake. They're the icing, not the cake. Really, they're not even the icing. I know some of you just eat the icing anyway and not the cake, which is really gross, by the way. It's really gross. Stop doing that. I don't want to look at your piece of cake that's got all the icing off of it that you licked off, your slobbers all over it. Glenn Cook, just don't do it anymore. These things are less than the icing. They're, they're, they're nothing in comparison to the real thing. What really brings joy isn't those things, although there can be blessing in all of them. There can be if they're used correctly and God wills that we should have them. But where it really brings joy is our relationship with God. It is the only thing that will really bring joy. Let's study his word. We've been in the book of Psalms for a while here. And Lord willing, today we're gonna finish the fourth Psalm. And so get your Bible out. Uh, also, the scripture passages should be on the screen here. Um, but let's read through the whole Psalm, Psalm 4, and then we're going to get into it starting at verse 5, where is, which is where we left off last time. So let's start it out with the whole thing. Psalm 4. To the chief musician with stringed instruments, a Psalm of David. Hear me when I call, O God, of my righteousness. You have relieved me in my distress. Have mercy on me. And hear my prayer. How long, O oh, you sons of men, will you turn my glory to shame? How long will you love worthlessness and seek falsehood? But know that the Lord has set apart for himself him who is godly. The Lord will hear when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Meditate within your heart on your bed and be still. Selah. Offer the sacrifices of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, who will show us any good? Lord, lift up the light of your countenance upon us. You have put gladness in my heart more than in the season that their grain and wine increased. I'll both lie down in peace and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. The psalmist here King David is doing what we see and what we have seen many times in Scripture. We've seen this theme in Scripture. David is pointing out in this psalm the two ways 
the two ways, right? We studied the teaching of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in the Sermon on the Mount in a series we called Right Side Up. And he was constantly pointing to these two ways. We have the road that leads to life and the road that leads to death. We have the kingdom of God way and the kingdom of the world way. Those are the ways that exist, and you're on one or you're on the other. And here we see it again. God uh, references the sons of men who turn God's glory into shame and love worthlessness and seek falsehood, who ask, who will show us any good? Looking for the secondary things, not even the icing instead of wanting relationship with God, instead of wanting righteousness. And that's set against the one, him who is set apart by the Lord, the one who is godly and offers righteous sacrifices <clears throat> and trusts the Lord, the one who has gladness in his heart, who will lie down and sleep in peace trusting in the provision and the protection of God. Now, whenever in Scripture we see, and we often do, the two ways, we must search our own hearts and ask, which way describes us? Which way describes me? Is it the way that leads to life or the way that leads to death? Is it the one that seeks falsehood, the one that seeks worthlessness, or is it the one that seeks relationship with God and for his face to shine upon me? We have to ask ourselves, if we find that some of these things that are the wrong way to describe us, we have to ask what needs to change? What needs to change? Psalm 4, 5, it's where we left off last time. It says this, offer the sacrifices of righteousness. Offer the sacrifices of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord. Now, we're told to offer the sacrifices of righteousness, and the Jewish people had a sacrificial system. Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of the system of sacrifice for sin. We no longer shed the blood of animals for sin because Christ's blood was shed on the cross for us, his precious blood, that we might have relationship with God. David talks of sacrifice and repentance in Psalm 51, which he wrote in confession after he had committed adultery with Bathsheba and had Uriah, her husband, killed. He begins in verse 1 and 2 in Psalm 51. Have mercy upon me, O God, According to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. David is broken, broken over his sin. He needs to be cleansed. And David knows that only God can forgive and wash David clean. Only God can do it. He can't do it. He, can't. he had money. He had power. He could not give everything he had to make up for the sin that he committed. Only God could save him. Later in Psalm 51, David prays, Creating me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence 
And do not take your Holy Spirit from me. He says, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. We used to sing a song from this verse when I was younger. uh, And I liked it. I liked the song. And it had some effect on me at that time when I was a, a young person, a young man. But I understand it now so much more powerfully than I did then. David knows the weight of his sin. He knows that he has committed adultery and bloodshed. It doesn't get a lot worse than that. He's done evil in the sight of God and he knows the law. He knows justice. He knows he deserves to die. The law declares justly that he should die for his sin. And David is is naked in his spirit before God. In humility, in brokenness, there's nothing hidden. There's no hope for him at all but God's grace and mercy. None. David knows he doesn't deserve grace. No one deserves grace by the nature of what grace is. Undeserved, unmerited favor. But he desperately does not want to be separated from God. God is and has been David's shield, his friend, his redeemer, his king, the love of David's life. We're told that David was a man after God's own heart. He danced before the Lord, worshiped him, trusted in him. He killed the giant Goliath and won battles in the power and strength of the mighty arm of God, not in his own. And he knew that. And here's this man who we're told is a man after God's own heart, and yet he's fallen into vile, evil sin. And he needs grace. He needs forgiveness. If you've never been in this place, if you've never seen the weight of your own sin, understood the weight of your rebellion against God, and you might be thinking, well, I haven't committed adultery and then killed the other person. That may be true. Maybe your sin isn't the same as David's sin but it has no less weight. And if you never experienced what it's like to be in the place where David is as he expresses this to God, you've never reached out in humility and brokenness for God as your only hope. You cannot fully experience the joy of your salvation. We have to be in that moment that David was in. Because after the pain, we experience the joy. Where's the joy if we don't know what we've been forgiven from? If we don't understand the weight and the power of his grace, then where's the joy going to come from? If we don't think God has done much for us, how much are we going to want to love him? David understands. Because God is just. He's just. And the wages of sin is death, but God is merciful. God is gracious toward those who truly call on his name. He will not abandon anyone who calls on his name in humility and in brokenness and in need. Jesus is Lord, the Son of God, the King of kings. And even being all of that, he satisfied the demand that God has for justice. 
because the demand had to be satisfied by being willing to be sacrificed on the cross. He did it for King David's evil sin. He did it for the sin of Moses and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Paul and Peter and David. Me and you. He did it for all of us. And what does God want to see from us? Listen to what David prays later in Psalm 51. This is 16 and 17. For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These are the sacrifices of righteousness. Sacrifice, the sacrifices of righteousness. They are righteous because they recognize the truth. They rejoice in the truth. We are broken when we see our sin for what it really is. If we're not broken, we don't see the truth of our sin. How hard it is to see our sin and understand the evil that it brings. We don't have God's view backwards and forwards in time, completely sovereign. And so sometimes we can sin and not have any understanding about what's really happening and all the factors. When I was younger, I remember sinning and thinking it was basically no big deal. After all, who was I really hurting? It wasn't until God showed me the pain my sin caused other people. Not until he showed me the pain that my sin caused to myself that I started to understand. It wasn't until I understood that justice had to be done. And the only justice that could be done in my case, in your case, was death and separation from God. It's unclean, undeserving. Justice demanded my life. That's when I had a broken spirit. That's when I had a broken and contrite heart. That's when I knew that my only hope was in Jesus and I cried out for him. And the joy that that brought is the reason that I stand here today called into his ministry because I love him because of what he's done for me. Pray that God will show you. Ask him to show you the weight of your sin, the consequences of your sin. It'll break you. It'll hurt. It'll cause fear and anxiety and shame that you cannot bear. And you'll cry out to Jesus for salvation, for forgiveness, for his cleansing power through his precious blood of the perfect lamb who died on a cross for the sins of the world. And you will find joy like you have never known. You will find joy that is so precious that it's like nothing that I ever experienced prior to going through that pain. You want to stir your affections for God. You sometimes think, man, I, I want to love God, but I just don't feel it. Just don't have a lot of passion in it. That's okay. Listen, you want to trust him for everything. You want to stir your affections. You want real peace and real hope. 
then fall on the cross and be broken. Recognize who you are and who he is. That God might see your sacrifice of righteousness, understanding the truth that when we look to the law and we look at ourselves, we recognize how far we are from that. God being holy and us being wicked. And when you recognize that and you see the cross and that God has given you, granted you the right to be his child, his son, his daughter, the joy that you'll experience, the hope that you'll experience, the peace that you'll experience beyond understanding. You put your trust in the Lord when you experience the forgiveness only he can give you, when you confess your sins, when you repent, turn from them. Forgiveness is glorious. It's glorious. And knowing that you have been set free from sin and cleansed will give you the energy and the power of the Holy Spirit to face anything that the world has to offer. You struggling? It's tough right now? You want to be able to face that in confidence? Confess or repent your sin and understand what God has done for you. You'll never have more energy or more trust than when you do that. And your former sin will no longer have the same kind of power over you. And you can run the race that's set before us all. Listen to this, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joys that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He saw the joy of giving grace to you and to me and to David, the king, and to Paul and to Peter and to every man and woman who has followed him. He saw the joy of it of us being able to have relationship with God and satisfy justice on himself. We ought to, as a result of that, offer the sacrifices of righteousness. We can face anything for the joy that is set before us that we will see Jesus Christ face to face. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We present our bodies as a living sacrifice, a sacrifice of righteousness. We give up our stubborn contention. Listen to this. Our stubborn contention that we deserve to experience the pleasure of our bodies at all times and for any reason. It's what we believe, right? We deserve to be physically happy all the time. Instead, we recognize what Jesus has done, making his body a sacrifice for us. And we submit ourselves to him, living to the spirit 
and not to our flesh. Living to the Spirit, the fruits of the Spirit, not the sins of the flesh. That's a sacrifice of righteousness because we trust God. You can't make that sacrifice without trusting God, that he loves us, that he wants to do good for us. Just as we, if we have children or nephews or nieces or grandchildren or whatever it is that we have, we want to do good for them. Except God is perfect, and so the good he wants to do for us is so much greater and so much more than the good we could ever want from our children. But if you trust that God loves you like that, then presenting your body as a living sacrifice has no fear in it. He can promise us, as he does in Romans 8, 28, this is what he promises, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God. He will work all things, every horrible thing that you've been through, he will work all of it together for good for those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. We can't promise anything like that to our own children, not even close about ourselves, but God, our Father, promises this to us. So it is only reasonable then that we would present our bodies a living sacrifice to him, holy and acceptable, because that's our reasonable service. And that we would not be conformed to the world. The world is not looking for growth and maturity, just so you know. They are not looking to be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. They are looking for conformity. The world is looking to conform you. That's what the world is looking to do. Go to any liberal arts university these days, and you're most likely to be in a situation that if you were to put forth an idea that doesn't conform to the orthodoxy of relativistic humanism and scientism and secularism, you will quickly find that the only option you have is quickly conforming to their ideas and their orthodoxy or being shouted out, canceled, and removed from polite society. They wanna conform you. They have no interest in transformation. No interest in it. They want to conform you. Do the same at the convention of any political party or even most cocktail parties. People want you to think like them. They want you to act like them. They want you to be like them. You want to be their friend? If you want to, you better think their things, say their words, wear their clothes, watch their shows. You better conform. But why do you want to be their friend? If you do, it's because you have been conformed by the world to think that niceness is more important than truth. It's a big one in the world today. You've been conformed by the world to think that popularity is better than integrity. You've been conformed by the world to think that winning is more important than honesty. You've been conformed by the world to believe that you can't really trust God to take care of you and therefore you need the friendship of the world because God's not enough. Those are things the world conforms you to think. You've been conformed to believe that God is not enough for you. You need their weak, conditional love 
or you're just not going to make it. Do not desire their friendship. Do not desire the friendship of the world, those that would conform you into their image. A dark and broken, fallen image. Instead, be transformed by the renewing of your mind in Christ Jesus. The world is broken and dying and does not know what to do but to keep yelling that the emperor's clothes are so beautiful as he rides through the streets naked. That's the world we live in. And they need conformity because when you bring transformation, they can't handle it. It gives the lie to what they're dealing with. It shows the brokenness of their orthodoxy and their ideas, and they can't handle it. So you better shout out, those clothes are beautiful too. Conform or be pushed aside. The only way you can have the courage and the power to do that is in the Holy Spirit and in trusting God enough that when the world rejects you, he's got you. That his church has got you. That there is real love from him. Because they want your conformity and it is the price for their friendship. We all need to listen and remember and think about and go over the scriptures on this issue regularly. Let's read James 4.4. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Period. You can't have both. Choose this day who you will serve. As for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And when we make that choice, we are denying ourselves something. We are making our bodies a living sacrifice. We are willing to be broken and humbled and humiliated by the world because we believe that God is enough for us. Psalm 4, 6, the next verse. There are many who say, who will show us any good? Where's the stuff? Where's the good? This is what the world asks constantly. We want good. We want what we think is good, right? Guns and girls and gold and wine and song and power and toys and fame. Worship of self and self-adoration, sex and sunshine and no responsibility. These are the things that the world chases. This is what the world is chasing. And the psalmist, King David, blows this nonsense out of the water. Listen, the scriptures, the Bible, locates good in only one place, God. Only God is good. That God would be pleased with us, that we would have his favor that the light of God's countenance would be upon us. Countenance. If you don't know what that means, it's according to dictionary.com, appearance, especially the look or expression of the face. The light of God's face upon us. That is what we want. All those other things can, can go fish. All those other things can go away if we can have the light of the countenance of God, the light of his face shining upon us. How wonderful it is in life to see your mother or your father or your spouse or your friend or your child 
smile and beam at you when you've pleased them? Is there a greater feeling than those who you love showing their affection in their countenance for you? Is not the feeling that you get from that warm, pleasant, and joyful? How much more that we would have such a relationship with the creator of the world and the universe and everything that is in them and that we could have his countenance shine upon us, not just us as generally humans, but you, that he thinks about you, that he knit you together in your mother's womb, that you are special to him, that he knows every hair on your head and that he would smile on you, that the light of his countenance would shine on you. If you don't understand the enormity of that, I don't think anybody fully can, you are missing out on something wonderful. That he would shine the light of his countenance upon me? Who am I? What is man that you are mindful of him? Upon you. You don't need anything else. You don't need anything else. To have a relationship with God, to have his favor and his love, to be blessed by him, to have his grace, to have his peace. You don't need anything else. Numbers 6, through 27. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and his sons saying, this is the way you shall bless the children of Israel. Say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So they shall put my name on the children of Israel and I will bless them. We, like the children of Israel, want that. We want his name on us. We are Christians, little Christ, Christ followers. We wear the name of the King of Kings. We are His. His. Good comes from knowing Him, from trusting Him, from His peace, from His love, from the hope that He gives us that we will be with Him. The world wants you to chase the things that it thinks will bring joy instead of knowing the source of all joy. You want to chase after money or you want to know God? Make your decision. Because one leads to death and one leads to life. Listen to the words of Charles Spurgeon from the Treasury of David. As for worldlings, I like that word, worldlings. As for worldlings, this is their unceasing cry. Who will shew us any good? A little King James Version for you. Never satisfied, their gaping mouths are turned in every direction. Their empty hearts are ready to drink in any fine delusion which imposters may invent. And when these fail, they soon yield to despair and declare, Hello. Oh, Siri wants to talk to me. And declare, sorry, there is no good thing either in heaven or in earth. They despair and they declare no good thing is there in heaven or earth. The true believer is a man of a very different mold. His face is not downward like the beast, but upward like the angels. He drinks not from the muddy pools of mammon, but from the fountain of life above. The light of God's countenance is enough for him. 
This is his riches, his honor, his health, his ambition, his ease. Give him this and he will ask no more. This is joy unspeakable and full of glory. Oh, for more of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that our fellowship with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ, may be constant and abiding. He's more than enough. But the light of his countenance might shine on us. Our joy is in the Lord. All of our joy. These other things the world chases after do not bring peace. They do not bring hope. They do not bring joy. Without a relationship with God first, without desiring and seeking and chasing the shining light of his countenance upon us, everything else is just trinkets, worthless without the author and finisher of our faith. Blessings are worthless without a relationship with the blesser. If we don't have a relationship with God, all the blessings that we can chase after aren't going to do anything to replace that. Stop chasing. Stop chasing and have joy. Philippians 4, 4 through 8. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in Everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. That's what he does. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue and if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. What are you thinking about? The good, the joy, God's face shining upon us. Let's look at the next verse in Psalm 4, 4, 7. You have put gladness in my heart more than in the season that their grain and wine increased. Probably not a lot of you studying this with us are farmers or run a vineyard, wine vineyard. But you have probably had a job or received a raise or a bonus or received an inheritance or had a good day or a good season in life in some other way. You can probably connect to what it's like for the psalmist to talk about grain and wine increasing. If the barns are full of grain and the vats are full of good wine, the farmer is doing well. And he or she can expect to have relative wealth from the good harvest. There's a feeling of gladness, gladness, gladness from that. Maybe for a person who understands God's provision and grace, there's even a feeling of thankfulness, a warm feeling that comes from receiving blessing. It's a good feeling in those days, in those seasons where the Vats are full of wine and the silos are full of grain. But it's nothing but a shadow, a weak shadow of the gladness we can feel from having God's countenance shine on us. It's about getting things right. It's about priorities. It's about understanding. It's nothing compared to knowing that we are loved by God and being able to love God. Because We'll eat the grain and drink the wine and it'll be gone. 
or it may get stolen or spoiled. There's no guarantee on that. But the love God has for us and the love that we have for him, listen, this is important. The love that God has for us and the love that we have for him will be eternal and bring blessings that are everlasting. Wine and grain, they run out. The love of Christ that compels us to love him also never runs out. It only grows. So it's nice to get a raise and to fix that coat hanger you've been using for an antenna on your car. You know, moving up, moving on up. I get it. But that's nothing compared to knowing and being loved by God. Listen to the words of Charles Haddon Spurgeon again from the treasury of David. It is better, said one, to feel God's favor one hour in our repenting souls than to sit whole ages under the warmest sunshine that this world affordeth. Christ in the heart is better than corn in the barn or wine in the vat. Corn and wine are but fruits of the world, but the light of God's countenance is the ripe fruit of heaven. Thou art with me is a far more blessed cry than harvest home. Let my granary be empty. I am yet full of blessings if Jesus Christ smiles upon me. But if I have all the world, I am poor without him. Our Lord Jesus Christ taught us this, Mark 8, 34 through 38. When he had called the people to himself with his disciples also, he said to them, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels." It is of no profit to have everything that the world chases if you lose your own soul. Deny yourself because you don't know what's good. Only God knows what's good. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Do not be ashamed of Jesus. Yes, Jesus Christ and following him will make you at enmity with the world. You will not be able to be their friends. Do not for that reason be ashamed of him who has not been ashamed of you and was willing to die for you and take on all kinds of shame, despising it for the joy that was set before him to have relationship that you might have relationship with God. He is our only glory and our only hope. Do not aim at the things the world chases. They bring nothing without Jesus. They are blessings to be enjoyed, if they are good, as gifts from the Lord. They're sick and broken and evil when we use them to try to replace our relationship with him, with God. As C.S. Lewis wrote, aim at heaven and you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. If your priorities are right and your first Mindset is, I love Jesus, I love God, I want his countenance to shine on me, I want him to smile on me, to beam his, his face and the brightness of his glory on me. And you go for that, who knows what kind of other blessings might come with it because those aren't the things you're focused on. 
But if you aim at all these blessings, I want the things that God can do for me. You get neither the blessings doing any good for you, nor do you get the relationship with God. Last verse for today. Psalm 4.8. I will both lie down in peace and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Our hope is in God. He's the one who makes us lie down in peace and sleep, in safety, in his provision, in his protection. If you've confessed your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So what's keeping you up at night? What do you have to fear? What? Your sin and its consequences? The sin is forgiven. It's as far as east is from west. It's at the bottom of the sea. It's gone. And God has promised us himself. What if you lose everything else? What if all your money goes away and your home and your car and all those things? You have God. What do you have to fear? Everything else is just an empty shadow compared to the shining of the countenance of the Lord on you. If you can live life that way, you will be joyful. You want money? You want security? Those are the things that are going to keep you up at night. Those are the things you're going to chase? Fine. But they're idols. And the more you want them, the more likely God will need to take them away from you because he will suffer no competitor to his glory. Because it's bad for you. It will harm you if you put those things between you and God. Listen, you will not be overcome by evil, but you will overcome evil with good. You will not run out of time. You will not run out of money. And if you do, all things will still work together for good for you. If you love God, if you are the called according to his purpose. And if you're a real serious Christ follower, you do love God. And you are the called according to his purpose. So what are you afraid to lose? What are you afraid of? Why are you not lying down in peace and sleeping? Because we chase. We chase security. We chase comfort. We fight with people because the world isn't the way we want it to be. Instead of praying that the Holy Spirit might draw them to himself. Listen, we have everything now. Now, if we have God, we are already seated in the heavenly places with him. Listen to this, Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. And he made alive, and you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, 
lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is who we are. This is what he has for us. He has prepared beforehand. He's got a plan for you. He's got good works for you to walk in good works. He's got you. 2020. Yeah, it's rough. I get it. It's, I get it. But we're God's. And his face can shine upon us no matter what we're going through. Like David, we can both lie down in peace and sleep. For the Lord alone makes us dwell in safety. There is nothing else that will give it to you. Nothing. Come on, church. Come on. Let's party in our hearts over what we have in Christ that the countenance of God might shine upon us. And you know what? Let's invite some other people to the party that they may know Jesus also and serve and follow him and reject the world in conformity that they might be transformed. We want to be transformed. I love you all. God loves you all. Do not walk in fear. Do not chase after the things of the world. God will give you those blessings which he has prepared for you. You worry about him. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Jesus told us that we can trust that. Be like David the psalmist. Go the road that leads to heaven, that leads to life, that leads to the kingdom of God and forget about the conformity of the world and all those things they chase. Let's pray. Thanks again for listening. We hope the Lord blessed you through it. We'd like to invite you to join us on one of our Sunday morning services at either 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. Whether you would just like to find out some more info about Axe Church, or if you'd like to plug in and take some next steps in your faith, axechurchnw.org is a great place to start. You can also email us at info at There's always more content coming, whether it's on YouTube or on our podcast channel. So be sure to subscribe to both of those to always get the newest content from Axe Church. Until next time, we hope you have a blessed week.